Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Here Comes a Thought. I'm your host, Kat, with Mark and John, which, by the way, we are going to get into his name because we've been called out so many times on saying his name incorrectly, but he doesn't actually correct us ever. I think he's just used to the fact that everyone mispronounces his name, so he just kind of goes along with it. Yeah. So so when when your name is in Spanish and then everybody tries to pronounce your name in English, it, it it's always kind of weird, especially when you're like in in, star, in a Starbucks, and they'll try to pronounce your name three times. So you just give them the easiest pronunciation, which is Gian, while my actual name is pronounced Jiang. So there we go. From now on, we're gonna call him Jun. Yeah, I'm gonna call him. Muffin. <laughs> I might occasionally call him Gondola from time to time, but <laughs> it's in an endearing way. So yeah, the, the the name thing was bothering me, and it was because I was reading, and and I finally figured out what it was. It was an article, the one of the characters from Orange is the New Black. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Orange is the New Black. That's the name of the TV show, right? Yeah. When they're in prison. Mm-hmm. One of the main characters, and you have to forgive me because I actually don't watch the show. Mm-hmm. Her name is very hard to pronounce, and her teacher uh, told, said that she was going to call her something else or give her, and was going to give her a nickname because her name was too difficult. And her, um, when the mom went to school, she's talking to the teacher, and her teacher said, uh, "Yeah," and said the nickname, and she's like, "Excuse me." So when she got home, she spoke to, to her daughter. Um, and she was just like, you know, you should be very proud. This is, this is the name we gave you. It has a lot of meaning. And, um, so, so that had always stuck with me. I read this a while ago and then I found it again. Uh, and this was a conversation we had because I, I feel that I should be corrected if I'm saying your name wrong. It, you know, it's who you are. It was a name that was given to you and given to you with meaning, Whatever it is, because we didn't discuss the meaning of it, but it was giving to you with meaning. So you should be proud of who you are. And you shouldn't just let us call you, uh, what ha- What have we called you? Jean? Gian? Yeah. Gondola? <laughs> well, gondola is an actual good pronunciation of my name. <laughs> it's a good pronunciation of your name. It's, yeah. a second, it's the second best thing, honestly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> my parents thought of gondola when, when they were naming me. So, what does your name mean? Uh, Gian is actually an Italian version of John. And, and and I and I just said Gian. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you and did. Jan. I, See, I, it, it's just if I'm speaking English, it, I'll just like default to saying it. Okay. In that way. But you say it, Gian, and then you say Ramos. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm Jan Ramos. You always got to make sure you roll those R's. Yeah, it yeah. Does, it doesn't sound sexy if you don't. Just like La Forgia. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anybody roll the R's in my name. Yeah, you're supposed to. Mm, I don't know. I'm not going to do that on the air. Just just forewarning right now. No forewarning? Okay. You know, Ezio would be ashamed, but let's continue. Well, Ezio's dead. Listen, that's for a different show. This one here is for our love of Steven Universe. We have another podcast that I can let you guys jump on and we can talk about the love of Ezio. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. So we started with that. And then um, so you wanted to talk about the conversation we had with simplifying language for the audience. Yes. So last time we talked, uh, we were we had like a, a small discussion mid uh, discussing one of the episodes where we were talking about language and about how I I usually sort of use more theoretical language, which is more sort of on par with this, that the stage I am in my life where I'm mainly a student and. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, it's uh, you. You said it's very important to sort of when you're talking to patients or 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 an audience per se, 
mm-hmm. to speak in a sort of more accessible language. And I really wanted to talk about that because I think that's also important for me. And I wanted to know if you guys would call me out whenever my language would get maybe too theoretical. That's fine. And again, it's it's big with me because I, I've actually been called out. And it does happen with depending on where your stage is in your profession, in your uh, educational career, that your language kind of flows with it. Well, I have to do treatment plans with my clients um, and I have to do notes and I'm having sessions with them on a daily basis. And I need to make sure that they understand one, what their diagnosis is. So if they have a diagnosis and they don't know what, what it actually means, there's a lot of psychoeducation that I'm doing with them. But I have to make it accessible. I have to make it so that they understand. And sadly, what we've come to realize is that when I'm doing these treatment plans, these notes, whatever, it has to go at what uh, what has been predetermined as a sixth grade level. Mm-hmm. And they say that because when they do the mean of everybody's comprehension so where where everybody understands okay so let me actually break down mean also so when they do the average mm-hmm. <laughs> of everybody's understanding sixth grade is pretty much that average that's where it averages out i say that's where i fall <laughs> i say that's where i fall too but uh here i am trying to get my phd <laughs> go cat and her phd in my sixth grade in my sixth grade understanding uh this is why we like fart jokes. <laughs> so, in other words, we just got it. Like, we're just gonna try and make sure that when we're discussing these episodes, that we're gonna try and put them in as much of layman terms as we can, just mm-hmm. so for those who aren't necessarily in the psychology field can understand what we're talking about. It's uh, and the closest way I can kind of relevant that is kind of like with uh, this one scene in the Avengers. I think it is. I think Age of Ultron with Steve Rogers when they uh, capture the Scarlet Witch and her brother. And uh, the one character, what's her name? She's from How I Met Your Mother. She kind of goes over what their powers are, and Steve Rogers kind of looks at her like... Maria Hill. Yes, (laughs) her. And she's explaining their powers, and Steve Rogers kind of looks at her like like puzzled, and and then she just goes like, she's weird and he's really fast. So that's what we're going to basically try and do here uh, just to kind of make sure that everyone understands uh, what we're talking about. Yes. And if you catch anything as an audience member, please let us know on the forums. Yes, which we do have the link in our show notes. So So. (laughs) now that we've had... uh, our introduction into pronunciations of names and into how we would like everybody to understand us. I guess let's go into So Many Birthdays, episode 13 of Steven Universe's season one. Woo! So I guess to kind of start off here, um, we'll kind of just give a little plot summary of the episode. So in this episode, it's Steven's birthday, and he's going over essentially he's telling the gens basically how a birthday goes and he's uh goes over these rituals that his dad would do for him on his birthday like wearing a crown having a a cape and making sure that uh he does all these like certain activities like a cake uh a couple of like little games and it's th- it's it's at this time that Stephen learns that the gems haven't had any birthdays and to them, they think it's just, you know, it's whatever. Age is kind of irrelevant to them. But to Steven, he's like, you know, like, what? You guys got to have a birthday. And they try to explain to him that, you know, they're thousands of years old. They're really, really old. And that they're just too big for birthdays. And then Steven kind of laments on this for a while, trying to like kind of piece together things and by this time he's trying to he thinks he's getting too old for birthdays as well and this causes him to age dramatically he'll go from how his normal age which is i think 13 now Mm -hmm. to like he's a teenager then he goes to like a middle-aged adult 
then he g- gets into like his older years and then finally he gets to like a decrepit old man on the verge of death and it's because of his constant fluctuation of his mind state or state of mind I should say that he's able to change his age and so when he realized when the gems realize this they try to do everything they can to make him feel young again and it's only after he sees them fighting over like uh, Steven's situation that he kind of can revert himself back to his normal self. Did anybody else think it was hilarious that Steven thought that you got your your job by choosing the right t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was he? Was he like a certified beach hunk or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. He went in and he's like looking at all the t-shirts and he's like, um. I don't think I can do that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have to get a job now. And then all of a sudden he's looking at t-shirts. And at first, when I when I first saw that episode, I thought he was he had gotten a job selling t-shirts just that rapidly. And then when he's like, okay, well, let's figure out what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty hilarious. So 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 the maturity that Stephen Stephen doesn't know what it's like to be an adult. They've always treated him like a child, which is evident through several of the episodes that we've discussed previously. He's always treated like a child, and it's only until when he meets Connie that he starts to show any what we would deem appropriate. So what quote-unquote is normal for kids his age to do. And now he he doesn't know how to be an adult because he's never had that aspect kind of laid out for him. Um, Greg is an amazing dad for certain points, but even Greg isn't an adult. So I'm kind of trying to figure out how is Steven going to learn how to navigate into adulthood. And I'm scared that somebody is going to say Connie. <laughs> You took the word right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, Connie, maybe? No, wait, wait, wait. I have a really out-of-this-world answer. Okay. Go. Petey. <laughs> okay. Look, so, I'm, I'm going to... I'm Hold on for a second. I'm going to take uh, Gian's notes here. I'm sorry. John's notes here. Uh-huh. Um... And he kind of uh, references back to the teenage crisis that Petey went through during Frybo. Yes. Where yeah. he talks about, you know, oh, life is really just making money for a life that you can't really live and then you die. Yes. Petey had an existential crisis at the age, the ripe old age of, what, 14? So starting to realize that life is sort of meaningless unless you're making money. Which is untrue, but when you first start getting a job, this is kind of what it feels like. I have to get this job because I have to pay for this, but I have, you know, to pay for this, I have to get a job, but I need this for the job. So those people who who own cars, you know, I need a car to get to work, but I need a job to pay for the car. And it's that vicious cycle that you go through. Um, And Petey had that at 14, which is really sad. Yeah. And so... The reason why Steven gets this sort of, well, early life crisis is because he's trying to commemorate Jem's birthdays. And it's very interesting because birthdays are important for human beings because we have a limited time on this earth. And so we have to commemorate every single year that we're alive. While um, Jem's, they're practically immortal uh, unless they're shattered so it he he's trying to connect with them and sort of show them why it's important to sort of celebrate your birthday and and they're really not getting it especially because the rituals that he's using are very childish and require understanding the culture the, the cultural sort of context of what he's doing yes which i think my favorite example is the clown with the pie and how it's always sort of been drawn as a sort of uh, staple comedy uh, sort of moment when somebody slips and and smears their face on pie, while Pearl obviously sees this as a very like humiliating experience. 
Yeah, didn't she say it was barbaric at some point? Yeah, and, and barbaric. And, <laughs> and so uh, Stephen is in part struggling because he he's starting to understand that not only are the gems not going to appreciate the meaning of a birthday, but also maybe he is outgrowing those very same things that he used to value in a birthday, like those cars, which he can no longer fit in. And all those little rituals that seem childish to Pearl, right? Yeah. And so I think a very sort of important point here is when are you too old to have birthday parties, right? We've always sort of discussed um, what's appropriate for ages, but we haven't discussed how it's appropriate to to be childish to sort of maintain certain things from your childhood in adulthood. Yes. And uh, I don't know who would like to take it from there. Well, and and I guess one it also has to do culturally because there are cultures that do not celebrate birthdays whatsoever. So if we see the gems as one of those cultures that do not celebrate um birthdays then we're going okay well they don't celebrate the birthdays that's just the way they are steven's culture is that of the t- of the type to celebrate birthdays which goes back to my last question like one of the the many questions that i've had so many times the crystal gems didn't just happen to come into his life his life recently they've been around so how come they've never been to a birthday party and again goes back to so what was steve like where were greg and steven living prior to him living with the gems like how was all that decided this well, doesn't I, get answered in this episode at all but what, what were you gonna say well, Mark? yeah i was just gonna say that i think it's i mean it's kind of evident in pearl too that it doesn't seem like the gems are necessarily interested in wanting to learn about the culture. So maybe that's why, even though they've been here for thousands of years, that they've often tried to keep themselves isolated just because there's no real interest. There's no real need to learn our culture or in this and I'm using R as in like human culture yeah. just because they're gems. So they feel like, you know, all we have to do is just protect them. We don't necessarily have to interact with them. So that's probably a reason why as to they don't know anything about birthdays or how they're celebrated and things like that. I completely agree with you, Mort. And from the way I see it, if you take everything that we've seen up up until now, the gems never have a reason to actually go to Beach City if it wasn't for Steven. I think... Well, I would presume that they spent the majority of sort of their life before Stephen having moved moved in with them. Um, I would guess they spent it either in the temple or out sort of uh, bubbling gems. Well, and I mean, in the same uh, vein of conversation, it's also really easy to see that they've been around for so many um, generations, so many millennia, whatever, that there is that possibility of consistent culture change that they're at that point of like, we're not going to bother learning because it's just going to switch before, you know, we even realize it. Yeah. So Stephen, Stephen's dad had very juvenile ways of celebrating his birthday but Stephen, no, Stephen wasn't having a birthday. He was just trying to celebrate the gems' birthdays. Exactly. All right. Did we see Stephen's birthday yet? No, 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 no. This is his birthday. It's because, but it's at, during this time that he realizes that they've never had birthdays. So he's dedicating his day to trying to have their birthdays because they've never had one. So he wants to share in the wealth. And have them experience a birthday. I'm sorry. I've sped up, so I've watched so many different episodes. So I actually just saw the episode where it was Steven's birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a you second, know, is it this one? <laughs> to give the audience some context, it's been weeks since we last recorded. Yes, I, I went to New York Comic Con. 
And I went to Chicago and hung out with Mark in real life. They didn't. Yeah, that, that was quite. A, hey, we did. You just chose New York <laughs> Comic Con over us. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so coming, back to back to this. Yeah. Back to the episode. Um. So Stephen, he keeps aging, right? Yes. And this is after sort of Pearls tells him that he's being childish with his sort of birthday ideas, mm-hmm. and it's important to sort of notice. What are the stages that he goes through? So he goes through being a teenager. And whenever he's a teenager, he's sort of filled with angst and sort of shame. He, his skin starts sort of breaking out. And then as a middle-aged adult, he's more like solid. He puts his foot down. He, he's sort of more uh, quote-unquote logical. And as an old man, he's, he's more like wistful or like filled with regrets or nostalgic right yes and i think this is very interesting because this sort of this is the way that we think about aging it, it that's what i was just going to say this is based on i think steven's steven's use of media to s- decide what those age groups would actually be like cuz i don't think he's actually been around people that can dictate those sort of uh life passages for him yeah and so it's very interesting because right what what we're seeing is him sort of enacting these roles as he goes through them while we know that teenagers can be wistful and filled with nostalgia old people can be filled with shame and angst and all these characteristics they can be at any stage of life right and so i really found that interesting I, what I thought was interesting was when Stephen focuses but doesn't spend all his time focus. It's it's kind of weird. I'm I'm explaining it wrong. Stephen had an episode previously where he was trying to learn to change his body the way Amethyst does on a regular basis. Was incapable of doing it except for those little cat fingers that overcame his whole body when he couldn't control it when it it, when he started becoming overwhelmed it started to overtake him so this also shows when we're talking about development so we're talking about steven's development this also shows that he's still not aware unconscious of his powers and his emotions are very much entangled with the powers that he has. So when he is thinking that he shouldn't be acting so childish, where he shouldn't, you know, he should be ashamed of wanting to do all those fun things, of playing the video games. I forgot what video game it was that he wanted to play at Funtime Arcade. Uh, But when he was doing all of that, he started becoming overwhelmed with shame and that shame manifested in him physically changing into a teenager. When he starts thinking about all the fun that he used to have wistfully, that's when he becomes an old man. Uh, Mm -hmm. When he starts thinking he has to get a job and be more responsible, that's when he starts becoming uh, what would be considered an adult. So in probably mid-20s. So the emotional ranges that he goes through dictate his his aging in this um but again also shows that he hasn't reached that maturity level consistently so that he can control those powers yeah and whenever he changes uh he could he sort of changes his emotional state but his his perspective is still sort of that of a child and uh, i think one of my favorite quotes when he's aging is when he goes to to the donut shop and Lars sort of can't recognize him and he says like he's gonna keep you know he's gonna keep getting older and he's not gonna enjoy the same foods anywhere any the same way he did before and he's gonna have to enjoy eating sugar-free oatmeal (laughs) and you know that's the worst you know (laughs) You're going to have to eat uh, sugar-free oatmeal for the rest of your life. And that's the point where he keeps, he starts aging again. 
Yes. So, yeah, it, his perspective is sort of childish, while his emotional state is sort of aging with him. And so I really wanted it, wanted to bring it to that moment at the end of the episode when he comes back. And it's a moment where the the gems are trying as hard as they can to sort of bring him back to that sort of childish mood. And they can't do it, so they start arguing amongst each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a moment where I think the, the way that it's portrayed and the writing is done they portray as Stephen has to be the sort of adult at that moment to sort of control the, the, the sort of bickering that's happening between the gems. Is this when Car- Garnet punches him? This is, she doesn't punch him, she shakes him. She oh. shakes him, yeah. And, you know, Garnet... Her hands th- are huge. <laughs> Garnet thought violence would be the answer, but it, 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 wouldn't. it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird. Like, in that last moment when you see Stephen go through all these changes... You know, Stephen is, like, basically a very, very, like, fragile old person when they're all, like, screaming at each other. But then when he feels like he has to be the adult to break up their bickering, you see him immediately transition from that very old, old state to now being a middle-aged man yelling at them. But then when he realizes that the attention's all on him and he realizes that he snapped at them, then he reverts back to that teenager age of being, like, shameful, being sort of anxious for having snapped at them and feeling like remorseful. And then when that remorse starts setting in, then he gets filled with that nostalgia, that existential dread. And then he immediately transforms back into an old person again. And so then they're telling him that no, 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 like it's all right to be, to be young. It's okay to be like this. And then that's when they start giving their approval and they're validating how he's feeling. And it's at that, it's at that point that he's able to sort of revert back to being a child and that it's okay to be a child at times. It's okay to have these sort of things. It's it's long as that's what makes him, him. And then he reverts back to normal. Well, half of it, at least. But this is also where we start seeing the the gems really have no clue Mm -hmm. anything about what's going on. Of course, we've we've been saying this from the beginning. Um, There's never been a situation where a gem has been able to have a relationship and then have a child with a human being. So now we have a person who is half crystal gem, half human. They are unsure if Stephen can die of old age. So they're freaking out because he's he's visibly looking like he's going to die in front of them. Um, mm-hmm. He's breathing heavy. He's extremely weak. And, and they're freaking out about this. But it shows that as much as Steven doesn't know where he should be as a 13, 14-year-old boy, the gems don't know how to help him navigate life as a 13, 14-year-old boy. They also don't know what to expect when he starts getting older. Is this a fear that they're going to have to have? That he's going to pass away from old age? Um because the gems don't do that. Yeah. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring this up and quickly, unless anybody has anything to add for the next episode, I I wanted to ask you, Kat, um, Mm -hmm. knowing that you sort of work in this uh, marriage and family therapy, have you ever had this sort of moments where uh, the kid sort of has to mediate the bickering between the parents? So... There's a couple of terms and a couple of situations that, yes. Um, so there's the parentification of a child, which we discussed before. Usually, if there is a situation of a single parent with um, with child- with more than one child, the oldest child will be brought in to be the co-parent. So the helper, sort of, with the other children. Um, so there's parentification. When parentification happens, it's both a good thing and a bad thing. So yes, it helps the parent when they need that ad- added support to help uh, sort of wrangle in the little kids. But it also kind of imbalances the the ad- parent-child dichotomy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So what ends up happening is there will be a situation, and, and I say will be and not that there may be because this is what always happens. Um, I've been doing this for several years already, and this is just what happens. There will be a situation where the parent will tell the child that they can't do something um, because they're not responsible enough to do it or they don't feel that it's age appropriate for them. And the child will uh, then dictate, but I'm supposed to be, I'm responsible enough to help you raise your children. I'm responsible enough to help you with this or with that and to make these decisions when I want to do something that I want to do, I'm no longer responsible. So it becomes a huge fight. And this is a, this is usually when we get brought in because now there's a whole argument on when is it okay for him, for this child to be responsible? And when is it okay for this child to be a child? And then the other one is triangulation. So usually it happens and I'm going to take the most generic form mother father child and the triangulation will usually happen it's one of those it's the the simplest situation again is uh the most generic one is my uh child asks mom mom can i go to this party mom says no you can't child goes and um asks dad dad says did you talk to mom mom kid says yes i did go have a good time okay or the kid will ask mom, mom will say, you got to talk to dad. And instead of taking that responsibility for that situation and saying, you know, I'm going to talk to dad and we're going to decide on whether or not you can go. She'll say, you got to talk to dad. Dad will be like, did you talk to mom? She said, yeah, sure. I just had to talk to you. And dad said, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Parents don't talk to each other. And now the child has taken that responsibility on themselves mm-hmm. to sort of, uh, put themselves at the same level as their parents. Um, Those are the two most... Common. Yeah, the two most common times we see that. Um, And this is a situation where, again, it's pretty easy for that to happen with the crystal gems because the crystal gems don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes with Greg. Greg really doesn't know what he's, he's doing. He knows he was a child. He knows he was a kid. But other than that, Greg, we, as we, we've seen, Greg really hasn't grown up much. Mm-hmm. So sort of the blind lead, leading the blind there. Yeah. And I think that sort of wraps up uh, two, so many birthdays, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say and kind of segue this perfectly. And uh, <laughs> do you know who, do, who, know who else doesn't know what they're doing? Who? Lies. Yes. <laughs> Go, Morg. All right, so we're going to segue now into Lars and the Cool Kids, and I guess I will be the uh, episode synopsis guy. Basically, in this episode, Lars is trying to be accepted and noticed by this group of uh, teenagers in Beach City known as the Cool Kids, which basically consists of Sour Cream, uh, Buck Dewey, and Jenny, who is the sister of Kiki, and they both are work at uh, Fish Stew's Pizza. So... Lars is desperately trying to be noticed by these these uh, this group, and he's trying to become one of them, but he's doing it in a way that is sort of hindering his, his what do you call it, his attempts at trying to be uh, incorporated into this group by doing things that he thinks they do and what he perceives to be cool or laid back or chill. And so when Steven comes along to try to say hi to Lars, to try to see if Lars wants to hang out with him, Lars is kind of trying to shush him away, but then he sees the cool kids and he, like, immediately turns his back and, like, kind of hides himself because he thinks, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But in reality, he's also just really scared and nervous. But Steven just doesn't understand that, so he's so quick to kind of go and introduce themselves, and then they end up spending the day together, um, all five of them. And... Lars keeps trying to say things that he thinks is really cool, but they just sort of fall flat. And they end up coming to this sort of, like, cliffside area in the in the woods that, in the very, very beginning of this episode, the gems had actually taped off using police tape, thinking that, oh... Because <laughs> that'll no, keep people away. <laughs> that's like, oh, no one's going to date across police tape. That's against the law. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I love how she makes that big bow in the center. <laughs> <laughs> you can wrap um, it up like a present. Yeah. I mean, you gotta tie the tape up somehow. You know, I, I don't. I just don't think the police have focused enough on their aesthetics. Yeah. As, as maybe they should. They should. I think they should. You know, just put a bow on a crime scene. <laughs> Makes everything better. So what they're trying to keep out is this moss that Rose Quartz had usually would take care of, um, but it has since started growing and kind of like. Closing a, it could potentially pose a threat. So they try to tape it off to make sure that no human goes by it and risks getting themselves hurt. So naturally, when every when all the cool kids and Steven and Lars pull up, what do they do? They go right through the police tape and then go hang out in the moss. And so the moss ends up engulfing everybody except for Lars and Steven. And this is where Lars's frustrations of trying to be accepted kind of come out and he inadvertently places the blame on Steven and his mom by calling his mom like a weird mom and saying that this is all his fault and her fault. And this is where for the first time we see Steven actually get angry. He actually gets on the defensive and he's really quick to defend his mom because of something that the gems would say that Rose Quartz always tried to see the beauty in everything on Earth. No matter what it looked like, no matter how gross it might have seemed, Rose Quartz always always saw the beauty in everything. And so when Lars disses Stephen's mom, he snaps and he says to Lars, like, what do you know about my mom? I didn't even know my mom. But I do know that she saw the beauty in everything even in the moss, and even in jerks like you. And this is where it kind of like snaps Lars back into place, and he realizes what he said, and you can tell that he feels remorseful of ever what he just said. And so instead of continuing the banter, he just kind of helps Steven with everybody, getting them in the, in the car and driving them up to the cliff because that's where uh, Pearl had mentioned that that's where Rose Quartz would take the moss Every spring, I believe. So they end up going, and then they get so close to the cliffs, to the top of the cliff, when they too start getting engulfed in the moss. And right as they get engulfed, the sun breaks through the clouds, and then the moss just blooms because the moss was just trying to bloom. Mm-hmm. And I think this and, is a metaphor for like Lars being the moss. Yeah, Lars is trying to bloom. He's trying to make friends and he's trying to be part of a group of people that are around his age but he just can't seem to do it he got, he can't find that sunshine until the very end when he kind of sees it through Steven but I don't think he's quite ready to accept that just yet mm-hmm. I think this episode Steven was the personification of when your mom and dad uh, when you were saying that you didn't know how to make friends or you didn't know uh what to do to get somebody to like you and your mom and dad just said just be yourself mm-hmm. and steven was that personification to lars of you just got to be yourself it's also steven, age sorry well, steven really likes lars steven looks up to him sort of like a, a role model but steven also wants to impress him and doesn't understand why lars doesn't see that he's so cool yeah and also, uh, this sort of attitude from Stephen, where he's a bit more sort of confident, it's also age-appropriate. And what I mean by that is, when you're a child, we, we still see Stephen as sort of a child. He still doesn't act like a teenager. You have what, what we call concrete thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that the rules of how you should act are solid, right? If you do something nice... Uh, that's a good thing. If you want friends, you ask for friends. So uh, a child will likely go to some random person in a playground and say, will you be my friend? Right? As we approach sort of being a teenager, one of those, one of the most important stages is that you start to think in a more nuanced way. Right? And you start to think, I can't just go to somebody, some random stranger, and say, 
um, can I be your friend? Because that could be interpreted as weird. And it's not the appropriate setting to walk to a random person and just ask for that. Um, Isn't that how we met? <laughs> is it? <laughs> did Except it, we did it in a, we, in a forum. It, in a forum, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in a forum is an appropriate environment, right? I didn't just email you out of nowhere and ask you if you could be my friend. Yeah, because then I would have been like, no stalker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and as, a, as a child, this, this doesn't make sense, right? Um, if you receive an email from somebody asking you if you want to be their friend, the sort of logical answer would be, oh, that would be nice. Um, and that's why parents also have to teach children not to talk to strangers. And... Uh, it's also very important for teenagers to sort of find out where they fit in. And in order to do that, they have to do what we call posturing, right? And it's this sort of process where you see a group that you like and you try to act like them to sort of be a part of their group. Mm-hmm. And he sees these cool kids who just don't seem... They're, they're pretty chill. They, the troubles of this world just seem to like phase by them. Because they are always so cool and, and, and level-headed. I was going to say, they're responsible and cool, though. I mean, the, yeah. the one irre- sort of irresponsible thing they did was cross that pol- police tape. Yeah. But there was that whole situation where Steven's like, seatbelts. And Lars is like, no, that, you know, we don't do that. And they're like, no. Like, don't be lame. Don't be. <laughs> and, every- and Jenny's like, no, there is nothing lame about seatbelt safety. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going anywhere if you don't b- buckle that seatbelt. Um, which I love, which is great because it also teaches like it's okay to still follow rules and and be cool. Wow, I sound really lame saying that, <laughs> but it's the appropriate <laughs> and something that should be happening. You know what's not cool? Getting a lot of patients at one a.m. Uh, with horrible traumatic injuries because they didn't feel comfortable in their seatbelts or they thought it wasn't cool. All right. All right. Fine. (laughs) Besides that, they're really honest in a a way, these these cool kids from this show. And they have this moment where they they seem very self-aware, which I really like. Um, Like, they want... One of them... Uh, Steven sort of notes Arcade Mania and one of them says oh like I can beat anybody there and then he sa- he admits like oh I'm just exaggerating to seem cool like so yeah it, 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 the, these sort of characters I really like because they they're really honest and they sort of they're modeling what cool kids could be like but at the same time there's something about them that I feel they, they kind of diss at Lars, but in very subversive ways. Well, and and I think it's Lars kind of exaggerates throughout the whole mm-hmm. uh, interaction with with the cool kids. Um, so he's on a constant exaggeration one um one upmanship th- theme with them. Yeah, to sort of make it seem like he's just at the same level as they are and when they catch him on each and every one of them it's one of those situations that yes they are sort of kind of it's almost like they're rubbing his nose in it but they also do it in a sort of subtle way but i i guess it would depend on where you are in that i Mm -hmm. it can be seen as they're trying to be hey we like you already. Just be who you are. You don't have to, you know, keep trying to prove that you're better than us or, you know, you do the same things that we do because I'm saying we're exaggerating too. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you can say they're, what is it, a backhanded compliment. Yeah. You know, oh, that's a great dress, you know, um, that you could afford. Like... Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so you're saying I'm broke and I bought a cheap dress, but it's, you know, cute because it was affordable. <laughs> it was yeah. cute even though it was affordable. So it, it can be seen as both for him, for, for, uh, for Lars, and, it, and I think it will depend on the mood you're in when you're watching mm-hmm. the episode. 
your place in life when you're watching the episode. Um, If you're at that point where you're Lars in your life and you're trying to fit in desperately, you're trying to make friends desperately, you may see it as sort of that backhanded compliment. Whereas if you've reached that point of life where you're comfortable with who you are, you know where you're going, um, you don't feel like you need a lot of friends, just really good friends, then it just may seem as they're just kind of Mm -hmm. calling him out on his shit. Well, I have a question for you guys. Do you think the cool kids know that Lars is trying to fit in or not? I'm sorry? What? Um, Do you think the cool kids know that Lars is trying to fit in or do you think they're oblivious to it? I think they're oblivious. Yeah? And I I think they're... It's pretty obvious. So they're just trying to make him feel comfortable. Yeah. So what, what I'm thinking... I'm thinking that they know. Because it's also pretty... When you're in a group and you notice that somebody's always trying to answer your statements with something that sort of relates to it mm-hmm. um, you you can instantly know when somebody's trying to fit in into a group and uh, for example when um, Lars uh, talks about the shirt his shirt right and uh, they say uh, I think it's Buck who says like oh that snake is pretty nasty and then Lars says, oh, I don't like snakes. And so he says, oh, that's sad because snakes are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of, I don't know. It, it, it seems kind of on purpose to me. Yeah. But I don't know what you guys think. Well, again, I, I think it was like really obvious. And, the, and again, <laughs> for a bunch of teenagers to be this self-aware um, yeah. and this... Um, non-narcissistic and non and non-judgmental and so open and willing to take in a new friend. Um, they are not like clicky. They're just like, hey, yeah, you want to hang out with us? Hang hang out with us. Just be you. Yeah. But you're. you're <laughs> it's one of those moments where you go, oh, Rebecca, your 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 work of fiction is so great, but this is definitely fiction. Because yeah. you're not going to meet a teenager that self-aware um, and not in a clique. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to be with the same people as us and that's it. Yeah, that may sound like I'm putting everybody into that situation, but that's developmentally where teenagers are. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was that cool teenager. Lies. That's very inclusive. <laughs> So, I'm your antithesis. So, um... See, I, I would... And and again, there, there's going to be antithesis because in all honesty, I was in every group. Mm-hmm. Like, I hung out with everybody, but from who I was and where I stood, there were tons of cliques, and mm-hmm. everybody was in a clique. Wow. But I was also one of those people that saw that this is what teenagers do, so you either kind of go with that flow or you're going to stay by yourself. And I would just hang out with everybody in every group. Yeah. So speaking about how these teenagers are very sort of self-aware and open, uh, Buck talks about Major doing kissing babies and how <laughs> his father never kissed him like that. You never kissed me like that. <laughs> yeah. And so Lars tries to empathize with Buck, uh, telling him that, you know, that sucks, but Buck retorts by saying that, you know, the lack of kisses made him who he is, which is a sort of narrative that we hear very commonly, sort of the bad things that happened to me make me who I am today, and so I should be sort of proud of them. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So Buck Dewey does say, the, like, the lack of kisses make, made him who, you, who he is. That doesn't mean that there's not any sort of, like, affection in that family whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It explains why his relationship with his father is the way that it is Mm -hmm. um, from the few interactions that we've seen um, in the beginning episodes. But it's not a situation where we we can say, yes, definitively, he's talking about bad things. Yeah. 
because uh, we don't know what his, you know, we're going by what he says. Yeah, it's a very it's a very personal narrative that he's made for himself. Yes. But, you know, I sort of disagree with Buck on the grounds that, yes, it, it, let's say that this is solely what makes your relationship with your father the way it is right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it still doesn't mean it wasn't rough, right? And Lars was sort of trying to empathize with Buck. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize for every one of us that even though our bad uh, experiences shape who we are... It does, and we can be sort of proud of that change. It doesn't mean that that thing that happened wasn't bad. I, I, I mean, I guess it's going to be one of those those later episodes where we can go further into it, where we talk about things like post traumatic growth. Because mm-hmm. again, we don't know too much about Lars and his father's relationship. To say if it was traumatic for him that he didn't have that physical affection from his dad. And I'm just thinking forward. We never see, like, Mom Dewey, so it's always just been... Yeah. It's always Mayor Dewey and Buck Dewey, so we don't know what that relationship is either. But it's one of those situations of, like... Okay, so... Are you saying that because of that lack of affection, you, this is the reason why you're so self-aware? Is this the reason why you're so... You're more comfortable with yourself. But the other thing is, is this also a situation where the, uh, dad, Mayor Dewey, is uncomfortable with physical affection other than those examples of I'm kissing babies? Mm-hmm. Because th- we, we both know, well, all three of us know that depending on what we call toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. If you're raised in that type of very macho, masculine household or or generations that say uh, men don't hug, uh, men don't kiss their kids, men don't raise their kids, that's left for the women, then Mayor Dewey was doing what he was raised to believe is actual active fathering. Mm-hmm. Which is what Buck Dewey kind of was saying he he didn't want. He wanted his father to be a more active role. He wanted to have that affection from him. Or is this a situation where just he was too busy in his career and so he didn't do this? Yeah. So it's one of those, it's a very open door that can lead to many conversations. And many theoretical frameworks of the relationship between Buck Dewey and his father. Yeah. Anything else to add for Lars and the cool kids? Wait, because I thought it was hilarious. You had written down something. So so everybody remembers, John does all of our notes. <laughs> so, Mayor Dewey kissing a baby is exactly why I think kissing babies or even holding them is the weirdest form of political worship. Yeah. <laughs> I I really can't handle this. It's like you don't let babies near a stranger, but Mm -hmm. apparently a mark of a good politician is sort of him grabbing your baby and kissing it, which is sort of, I don't know, it's very invasive. It's very like, like, uh, I don't know. I find it so weird that people will just like grab their babies and sort of offer them to a political figure for kissing. Especially knowing what most of our political figures do lately. Yeah. Having them kiss your child, you may want to ask for, you know, STD panels to be done at some point then. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as long as he doesn't kiss any... Orifice of the... (laughs) Yeah, like mucus surface. I think you're going to be... You're going to be fine. All right, so... (laughs) I I love that part of it. I was reading it, and I'm just like sitting here chuckling because I think that's hilarious. Because it's it, it is very odd. Um, every time you see when when there's a a new election coming up, they have these uh, political figures grandstanding in front of the the, uh, the the TV crews and cameras and everything, and then all of a sudden somebody hands them this baby, and I'm just like. Where does this miracle baby come from? Is this the new messiah? Is this <laughs> And you know, he sometimes they kiss them as if they were autographing their baby. Yes. 
And this is like, I don't know. It's like, this is my property. I want to know that you personally kissed it. And I don't know. It, it's just, I don't, uh, I don't know. It weirds me out. It's, uh, okay. Does anyone know how that even started? Um, no, but Mark, we're going to give that to you as homework. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks. We I'd sh- rather not look up the history of po- politicians kissing babies. You know what? I'm going to research this and maybe say it in the intro to our next episode. If oh, I find boy. any, if I find answers, and if I don't, um, I've disappointed our audience, and I'm sorry, and I'll try to be a better person after this. You know. All right. There's well, a Wikipedia <laughs> entry on this. Okay, send it to me. Is it? <laughs> I did the research, not cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you could consider Wikipedia research, though. Are you kidding hey, me? You okay. know what? My entire English 2 class, that's all we did for the entire thing, was prove that Wikipedia is, in fact, a credible source. And our final project wasn't a research paper. We had to actually edit and or create our very own Wikipedia article. So if you go to the Ezio Auditore da Firenze <laughs> Wikipedia page, I love back that you go said to, it with the accent, man. <laughs> yeah. And if you go to go scroll down to its biography, mm-hmm. you're welcome. Okay, that was you. Okay. Well, what I'm going to say is, don't go to the kissing babies on Wikipedia because there's only an uh, uh, a short blurb. Okay. On it. And it's and it's literally just like it came out in around Andrew Jackson's time. Okay, well. Okay. Um, yeah. But I'll send I'll, I'll send you links and and maybe. Oh my God! Even better, HistoryChannel.com. Yes. Were there aliens involved? Oh, that would be. Amazing. I love ancient aliens. Yeah. All right, guys, we're getting a little too off topic. <laughs> I think we need to wrap it up here. Time to wrap it up. Who's gonna do the wrap up? Um, I did the intro. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Here Comes the Thought. As always, if you'd like to join in on our discussions, uh, feel free to on the forums. Uh, that is geektherapy.com uh, slash forums. And if you always want to reach out to us and talk to us about anything uh, related to Steven Universe, whether you have a comment, a suggestion, or you just want to tell us how much you love our podcast... You can always reach out to us on Twitter. Um, All of our Twitter handles are in our show notes below. And uh, feel free to also join our Discord. Um, You can go to that at uh, geektherapy.com slash Discord. We have our very own Steven Universe channel, uh, as well as many, many other channels where we discuss either mental health, we discuss movies, TV. We even have a food channel now. Yes. Food! So if you want to share recipes, you want to talk about all things food, please feel free to come in and talk with us. And I think that about covers it. Oh, one last thing before I forget. For all of those who play the Steven Universe Tap Together game, I highly encourage, if you are not part of a club yet, to come join the Geek Therapy Club and the game and help us join in on some jolly cooperation as we try to move up the ranks to diamond tier we have had a very explosive amount of members join in like the past couple of days and i am ecstatic about this we went from like 17 members to 43 are you serious you should you should post ads for geek therapy in the 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 app I mean, I try to, but I, I don't want to, like, just blow, kind of constantly be our chat. I want this to be more of a fun environment. So you should do ads for Here Comes a Thought in the app. <laughs> I, did in, I did in the previous club before I st- created the Geek Therapy Club. Uh, well, yeah. I, say, I say Here Comes a Thought needs um, some... But, okay, so I'm going to stop. Yeah. So <laughs> don't forget, you can hit us up all on Twitter... Um, and all the links for everything will be posted in our show notes. Guys, are we good? Yeah, we're good. I think we're all good. That's a wrap, everyone. We will see you next time. Take care. Bye.